Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's plan. Let me tell you a story about one of my missionary heroes. This is a, a woman named Eliza Davis George. Anybody familiar with Eliza Davis George? She was known as Mother George. Early 19th century, she feels this overwhelming, just compelling call to go and serve as a missionary in Liberia in West Africa. And so she really struggles to gain support for this. She's a young, single woman. Nobody wants her to go at this moment. She struggles to find support. She eventually does. She wins over these supporting groups who finally send her over there and bless her to go over there. And within two years, she has converted 1,000 people to Jesus Christ within two years. And um, today, she was in mission work in, in Liberia for um, her whole life. She lived to be almost 100. She returned to the States when she was in her late 90s. Today, there are 29 churches that were planted as a result of Eliza Davis's George mission work in Liberia. But one of my favorite stories about Eliza, in addition to the mission work of planting churches and converting people to Christ, was a school that was also set up with a similar aim of conversion. It was called the Bible Industrial Institute. And so within two years at the Bible Industrial Institute, she had 50 children that she was serving there. So teaching them the Bible and also teaching them skills so that they could work in the workplace. And over the years, she trained hundreds of kids and converted hundreds of children to Christ in Liberia, West Africa. Well, in addition to that, she also adopted a lot of them. Many of these kids didn't have families. And so that's why she was known as Mother George in Liberia. She adopted so many of these kids. Over the course of her ministry, funding was always a challenge. Getting the resources that she needed for her kids was always a challenge. She was always just on this ragged edge of dependency on God, and funds would show up at the last minute, and she would be able to feed and provide for these kids. So one time, she's in her 60s at this point, she gets word that money for her, for this mission and for her children, has been sent wrongly to Monrovia, which is 200 miles away. And so she sets off on foot along the Liberian coast through marshes, beaches, swamps, mountains to get to Monrovia for this money for her kids. 200 miles, a 60-year-old woman travels to get the money for her kids. She gets to Monrovia and the money has been sent back to America. So let me ask you this, what was harder the 200-mile trip or the moment she realized the money wasn't there. I, t- I tell that story because I think, I think it really captures that what we do for those we love is sometimes really hard. But what's harder is what we can't do for them. When it's outside of our control, are you with me? I'll tell you a story of our boys, um, the other night we had some friends over and kids were playing upstairs and Lindsay said about 10 times, no slamming doors. And then a few minutes later we hear a door slam 
And a few seconds later, what do we hear? Blood-curdling screams. And Deacon, our youngest, he's three years old, comes down the stairs, he's gripping his finger, and there is blood everywhere. I'm not gonna get more graphic than that. But Foster, our middle son, older brother to Deacon, sees this blood and says immediately, he's gonna die! (laughs) Which did not de-escalate the situation. Now every time Deacon gets hurt, he asks, is it blooding? Am I gonna die? Okay. Didn't quite de-escalate it, but we sit him up there, we're bandaging this finger, and Foster, our middle son, he's our bleeding heart in the family. He's the one that just loves really big. He is crying more than his younger brother is crying. And he says this, he says, Mom, he's just a baby. (laughs) And he said this, he said, if I could take his hurt, I would take it. I know. You know, what we do for those we love is hard. It's what we can't do for them that's harder. I think about a mom here I met with a couple weeks ago. Her adult daughter is having some real struggles in her faith. Real struggles in her faith. Through events in life, through questions that she's asking. I'll never forget that mom sitting out there through tears telling me, if I could take every one of her doubts, I would take them. You know that feeling? It's what we can't do for those that we love that's harder. Come with me. We're going back into Genesis this morning. We're going we're to follow a story that we skipped over originally. It starts in Genesis 16. It goes to Genesis 21. If you'll go with me to Genesis 16, that's where we'll be this morning. But let me, let me remind you of something. The first time the word love, the first time the word love is used in Scripture is in Genesis 22. When Abraham is told to sacrifice his son, Isaac, whom he loves. Everybody will tell you it's one of the most heartbreaking stories in scripture. You may remember when I was trying to read the story the other day, I was getting caught up in emotion. It's one of the most heartbreaking stories in scripture. I was reading one scholar who wrote about it and he said this, I think he's so right. The reason that story is so difficult is this truth, and we all know this to be true. To be introduced to love is to be introduced to heartache. So come with me to Genesis 16. Genesis 16 starts with Abraham and Sarah. God has made really big promises to Sarah and to Abraham that their descendants are going to be numerous, and yet they're old. They're too old to have kids. And Sarah, she's despondent. She's despairing because she's not going to have a child. And so in her desperation, she pushes forth her servant, Hagar, and tells Abraham to have her so that they might have a child through her. Now, we could, we could preach a long sermon about how when we are hurting and despairing, how we mistreat others, and this is absolutely a case of mistreatment. But Hagar becomes pregnant. And from the moment she's pregnant, loving this boy is hard for her. Okay, not the feelings she feels for him. I'm sure she just naturally was overcome with love and emotion for him. But what I mean by that is that the, the, what her love could accomplish for this boy was very hard from the beginning. What did she want for this boy? Everything. Greatness. She wanted inheritance for him. She wanted love from Abraham for this son of his. She wants everything for this boy. And from the moment she's pregnant, it is clear to her that her love has limits. 
And that what she wants to do, what she wants to give this boy, she is not going to be able to do and give this boy because from the moment she's pregnant, she becomes mistreated by the family. Sarah begins to resent her, and so she flees. She heads into the desert, and she finds herself at a well or a spring. So a desert's a really rough place. Water's rare. But by chance, and we'll come back to that, she finds herself at water in the desert. The Lord comes to her. The Lord hears her cries. And this is what we read in verse 11. The Lord has heard of your misery. These are cries for who? Ishmael. She's crying out in the desert. God comes to her, tells her he's going to bless her. Her her descendants are going to be numerous. The Ishmael's going to be okay. And she says this in response. She gave this name. She names God. Look at this. This is one of the most significant moments in Scripture. This woman names God. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Bear Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And it's still there. Hagar's learning something here. You know, what she's running into from the moment she's pregnant is the limits of her love. She is not going to be able to do for this boy everything she wants to do for this boy. But what she's also learning is that when she comes to the limits of her love, she is not at the limits of God's capacity. That beyond her limits to do for this child, there's his, which are so far beyond it. The Lord hears her. All right, she's not the only one learning this lesson, though. Come with me to Genesis 17. We're going to follow this story around. It's not just Ishmael's mom who's learning this. You also have, Ish- have, have sorry, Ishmael's dad, Abraham. So this is Genesis 17. God comes back to Abraham. He repeats the promise that he's made to Sarah and Abraham that he's going to bless them and give them descendants that are very numerous. But the descendants aren't coming. And so Abraham laughs when God tells him this. He falls to his knees laughing. And this is what he says. He prays to God, if only Ishmael, his son through Hagar, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God, I hear you. Would you just bless Ishmael? Would you do that? He's running into the limits of what he can do for this boy that he loves too. God, why do, you have to, why do you have to give me another son? Just let it be Ishmael. Like, let him be enough. Take care of him. That's what I want. And I want you to see what God says to him in response. Look at this. This is verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. Pay attention to this. I will make him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his number. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. Let me pull out the most important words from that passage. What does God say? I have heard you. I have heard you. I will make him. I will make him. You see that? I've heard you. I'll make him. 
Okay, before we complete this thought, come with me to one more passage, Genesis 21. We're going to tie all this together. We're back with Hagar, this mama. Come Genesis 21, Abraham and Sarah have finally had their own son, Isaac. And the moment that Isaac is born, Sarah's resentment for Ishmael and Hagar bubbles over and it becomes too much for Hagar. Abraham can't stand it either. And Hagar and Ishmael are sent away into the desert with a couple pouches of water. It's one of the cruelest scenes in scripture. And they're sent off into this desert. Here, all of her hopes and dreams for this son of hers that she loves so much are being squashed. None of what she wishes for him is gonna happen. And she might love him a lot, but she can't produce for him everything she wants to produce for him and give him. In fact, they head into the desert and she lays him under a bush to die. Can you imagine that? Look what happens there, though. When the water in the skin was gone, this is Genesis 21, verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and she sat down about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy, her son, die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. But pay attention. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what is the matter? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift that boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw what? Pay attention to this, a well of water in the desert so she went and she filled the skin with water. She gave the boy a drink. God was with that boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. Okay, let me draw out the most important words from that passage too. See if you recognize them. God heard her, heard the boy. God heard, and what did God say to her? I will make him. I will make him. So let me ask you this question. Who makes anybody anything? God, who makes somebody into something? God, that's what he's saying here. Uh, I, was, I was in a, a class with um, King Gardner, one of our shepherds the other day and his wife, Brenda, and I think it was a panel, a parenting panel, and we went to that because parenting's so hard, it's way harder than all of you said it was gonna be. And so we went to this panel and trying to learn some about parenting, and I'll never forget what Ken said. He said, he said um, we take, too much ownership of our kids' successes and too much responsibility for their failures. We take too much ownership for their successes and too much responsibility for their failures. He's saying we have influence over the ones that we love, whether you're a parent, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a friend to somebody, whether you're talking about your siblings, we have influence over the ones that we love, but let's be really honest, our influence has limits. There's limits to what our love can do for somebody else. And this isn't just parents. Let me, let, me, let me point you to a guy who was never a dad and understood this feeling, never a mom and understood this feeling. This is Paul. Paul's in jail. So <laughs> used to go into the jail every week to teach the HopeWorks class. And I'll tell you, like, jail is the place where you really know your limits. Okay. He's in jail. 
He's writing to the Philippians, and his desire is to be with them. His desire is to love them in person. His desire is to see the love of God transform these people, and he can't get to them. He's at the limits of what his love can do. And look at what he says. Pay attention to the tone of what he says. Look at this, Philippians 1, 4 to 8. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Being what? Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Pay attention to what he's saying there. He's saying at, its, at his limits, at the limits of his love for them, it's right for him to pray for them. It's right for him to long for them. But most importantly, it's right for him to be confident that the Lord who began a good work in them will carry it on into completion. Do you hear that? You know, loving is really hard. What we do for those that we love is really hard, but it's what we can't do that's so much harder. And so most of my sermons don't end this way. I'm usually just trying to make one point in my sermon, and as you tell me, I often fail at that. Um, But today I'm going to give you three points, three takeaways. How about a practical sermon? This is it, Eric. Okay, so so get out your notes. Practical sermon here. All right, here's here's the question I want to answer at the end. What does this story teach us? The story of Ishmael, the story of Paul. When I'm at love's limits for somebody else, the limits of what my love can do for somebody else, when I'm in the desert, what do I do? What do I do? All right, three points. If you're a writing person, write these down. The first one, I stay confident in the Lord. That's a hard task sometimes. I stay confident in the Lord. As part of that, I accept my limits, you know, accepting the limits of what I can do for somebody else. What the truth is, is that God is the only one who makes anybody anything. God uses us in that process. He uses us to influence those that we love. And it's, you know, sometimes we need to pray that God would make it clear what's our responsibility and what's his. But let me be very clear, it's God who makes anybody anything. God promises Hagar that he will be with Ishmael. He is, and Ishmael becomes who God wants him to be. So maintaining my confidence in the Lord, when I'm at love's limits, that's the first thing I've got to do. I've got to stay confident. Paul says it's right for me to stay confident in the Lord. Number two, I pray to the Lord. I pray to the Lord. Now that prayer may include groaning. Paul says that's right. Longing, crying even. Do you notice in Genesis 16 and Genesis 21, what does God hear? Her cries. In Genesis 17, what does he hear from Abraham? His prayers. Do y'all remember the, um, that Tom Hanks movie, uh, a league of their own. You remember this? When he's a baseball coach and he's coaching ladies, probably some moms. I'm going to be careful here. And one of those ladies starts crying on the baseball field and he says, there's no crying in baseball. You remember this? He never coached little league. Let me tell you, there's a lot of crying in baseball. 
But there is a lot of crying and loving somebody, amen? There's a lot of crying and longing for somebody, a lot of groaning and longing for somebody. And Paul says it's right. If the story of Genesis of Ishmael confirms anything, it's that God hears us when we pray and groan and cry for somebody else. What we see in Genesis 17 is that God responds, in Genesis 16 and 21 as well, that God responds to the cries and prayers and does what he does for Ishmael because of them. I have heard you. This is what I'll do for him. So the second thing, I pray, I groan, I cry. I pray for those that I love to the Lord. And then here's the last one. Um, this is, you know, you know the moment in Scripture when Paul says, now this is Paul talking. This isn't necessarily from the Lord. This is Paul talking. This is one of those moments. This is Eric talking. Let me speak from experience here, though. But did you notice in both Genesis 16 and Genesis 21, when Hagar is in the desert at love's limits, you know what she finds in both places? A well. We do a whole sermon on the significance of wells in the ancient world. There's maybe no more significant engineering feat in the ancient world than a well. In fact, that's why Genesis talks about the building of wells again and again and again. And we're like, hey, it's just a well. It's one of the most significant things they accomplished in the ancient world in the desert was digging wells. And somehow, Hagar goes out into the desert at the limits of her love for Ishmael. And where does she find in both places? What does she find? A well. You know, my experience has been, this is the third thing. When I'm at love's limits, I look for God's wells. You know, something that's gonna nourish me from the Lord in that moment. And, and what I have found, again, this is Eric speaking, is when I'm at those limits, the well is often there. I'll tell you a story to end with. The other night, we were putting the kids down for bed. And this is one of those things y'all didn't tell us. Bedtime is the worst. <laughs> like you have these like pictures in your mind of this idyllic night and hugs and kisses. And instead it's like, if you get out of that bed again, I've never said that, but you know what I'm talking about. We finished this bedtime. It was probably an hour long, threats, you know, elevated voice. I come down the stairs. I'm just feeling so defeated. It's so defeated. And um, I told Lindsay, I just need a minute. Sat down on the couch and I came into the bedroom and Lindsay was sitting there and we, we held hands and we prayed for our boys. And I'll tell you that, just that moment of praying to the Lord for these boys who we want the world for, you know, again and again, we're running into our own limits to give it to them. Just that moment of praying with her it didn't change them, but I'll tell you what, it changed me. <laughs> it was like right at the limits of my love was his well. Let me pray over y'all because I know that in this room there are people that you love desperately and I want to lift them up with you to the Lord this morning. Let's do that. <clears throat> God, here are your servants, your children, those you love, those in whom you are well pleased. Each person here in this room, God, loves somebody dearly. 
whether it's a brother or sister, a spouse, a child, a friend, everybody in here loves somebody and longs for that somebody that their life would be transformed, that their life would be different, that their life would be better, that they would be healed, that they would be forgiven, that they would be loved and they would feel it. They have these deep longings and desires and as much as they love them, they feel limited in their ability to produce those things for them. So God, in this moment, I just want each, each person in here, would you just place that person on their heart and their mind? I wanna lift each one of those people in their minds and their hearts up to you. God, we believe that it's you who makes anybody anything. We pray, God, that you would make them into what you long for them to be most. Not what we long for, what you long for. We entrust you to them. We give them to you, knowing that they were yours to begin with. And God, would you give us peace? Would you make it clear to us what you're calling us to in our love for them, but also clear to us, God, what only you can do? I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.